Welcome to From the Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Wilshere. This is another podcast on a plane, Brisbane Business Life. Uh, today we're flying from Brisbane to Adelaide uh, to basically support our mate uh, Ben 10 Wynn. Uh, with me, first time on the podcast, uh, for my good friend here, Matthew Cox. Welcome along, Matthew. Morning, Timmy. So, Matthew, um, it's nearly 19 years ago since we first met. Uh, when I first came to Brisbane, you were the first um, you were the first person I basically ran into, met after coming coming off the plane, effectively straight to Eight Mile Plains to the Mason de Bordeaux, whatever the f- it was called. Um, what was your first impression of uh, Nicholas Wilshire's older brother? Centric. Centric. So, what makes you say that? Yeah, you're just a bit awkward bit green. I think Timmy hadn't, hadn't lived in the big smoke before from Tasmania, but uh, Nick had always had always spoken highly of you and, and looked up to you, and he was a big, you know, smarter older brother. And uh, yeah, but uh, what I liked what I liked about you from the get go was that you were a guy that was passionate. And back then you were a massive WWE fan, so we had a wrestling, a love of wrestling in common. Yeah. So back in January 2000, yeah, WWE was big, it was the Attitude Era, The Rock, Mankind, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, Kane, we used to buy the pay-per-views, didn't we, I remember that, at, on Foxtel. Yeah, mate, no, we used to buy the pay-per-views, and I think we even buddy, went, to, uh, went to a WWE event in Melbourne at the time, but um, from memory, you even actually uh, were practicing a few WWE moves um, when we get on the drink. Remember that, remember that time that, you know, on, when we are playing rugby league or something, when playing rugby league and we are mucking around. I remember I gave a DDT to somebody. Can you remember that at all? You DDT'd somebody in a bloody rugby league match, which was uh, an awkward tackle. You know, it's a strange way of, uh, you know, imposing your will on someone, buddy. But, yeah, you did that. And uh, another time, I think, back then, wrestlers were spitting on each other. I don't know if you remember this, Tim, but, um, yeah, in promos, you'd always see wrestlers spit on each other. And so one night on the, on the drink, we were out with another guy, Craig Archer, and we were studying to be a nurse, and this guy wouldn't hurt a wouldn't hurt a fly. Never had a fight in his life. But what happened was we were practicing wrestling, and for some reason, you decided to spit on him because it was like what WWE wrestlers did. What? Yeah, and he, and he, I know you're too great to remember this, but you spat on him, right, in some sort of wrestling promo, and he went absolutely berserk. I remember that. <laughs> Fuck, that's so funny. Um, I remember those old days year 2000 I mean we had a lot of more hair back then too like both of us are fucking nearly bald now aren't we yeah well you're nearly bald mate I've, I've still got plenty left in fact I actually think it's going to grow back you know do you, do you use Rogaine at all no mate I don't use Rogaine um, first world problem mate uh, losing a bit of hair but uh, as I said mate I'm convinced that that mine will come back fair enough mate so I remember one of the first jobs that you had as a as a youngster you know you only just turning 20 or so when I first met you. You know, you, you worked for a, as a rep for Coca-Cola. Can you remember those days? And what, what did, you, did you learn anything from uh, from working for Coke? Oh, de- definitely. You know, I'd, I'd worked. Uh, I'd already had lots of part-time jobs as a kid, and um, a few full-time ones you know, before that came along. But I worked at KFC, and McDonald's, and a couple of different service stations, and uh, pizza joints when I, when I was younger. But yeah, I, what happened was one day I was I was out of work and I was, un, I was having this un, 
unloading shipping containers and um, and doing warehouse work. And but at the same time, I was studying business. And I had this interview, I think, for loading some some warehouse work or container unloading. And, and but I wore a, a suit there. And what happened was I um, I ran out of uh, petrol on a, on a highway, and so I had to walk. There's no mobiles then. I didn't have one anyway. And I had to walk to a nearest um, shop I think to, to borrow their phone to ring up this recruit agency to tell them I'd be late and uh, long story short I got there and this woman said are you, you here for this um, for this interview for the container I said yeah yeah she said why are you in a suit and I said well that's what, that's what you wear to bloody interviews isn't it you, you wear suits and um, she goes look you're not going to be suitable for this she goes but we have something else and she goes have you got any retail experience and I, I did uh, and as I said I was studying business and then yeah, so they, so basically they put me um, as a Christmas casual with coke, filling up drinks in the supermarket, and then a couple of motions from there. About six months later, I had my own company car, my own territory, and wonderful. Uh, you know, obviously one of the one of the global brand, and um, certainly the you know the, the leading um, you know carbonated beverage in the world. So yeah, you learn a lot. You learn a lot about standards. You know, attention to detail. Um, and they're, they're really big on um, on brand blocking and having you know big displays and you know, you know in their um, in their channels and to, and um, really being imposing. So yeah, great experience. Yeah, excellent. Coca Cola. Um, certainly, everyone knows Coca Cola, and I'm sure everyone knows someone who's probably worked there as well. But uh, and then obviously, tell us obviously other stuff that you had growing up. You said. Um, before we started the podcast, and obviously you did a couple of amateur boxing bouts as a youngster, and then also did, played a lot of rugby league and uh, had a little bit of success in both, perhaps. Oh, well, I think success in boxing that actually got in the ring. So a lot of people watch fights, but you know, not a lot of people um, have them. But uh, yeah, I, I can say that I, I hopped in the ring at two fights, and um, yeah, one I did okay, and the other one I lost in the first round, but. Um, yeah, fear beat me in, in that second one. Um, but yeah, I've always always loved the fight game. But yeah, it gave me a lot of confidence just training, um, training in boxing and um, being able to being able to throw them a little bit. So yeah, wonderful, wonderful thing to do. I think if, if you're young and, and um, got steam issues or, or um, you just want to keep fit, and keep active, it's, it's, uh, and it's good for your mental and emotional health. Um, that sort of exercise. But. Uh, at that time, I was trying to put on weight to, to you know, to bulk up a little bit for rugby league, um, and so basically, yeah, that, that you know, I fought at 65 kilos, and then I was playing football at about 80. So um, yeah, so moving on to rugby league. Now I was a toiler, really in rugby league. Played mainly in the second division, but um, when I went to university, I, I played in the first grade side at Griffith. That we, we had a reserve grade and A grade comp. And played against all the universities in southeast Queensland, and then from there, um, yeah, they're, they're big state teams and, and then the Australian side, and, um, and yeah, I made the um, I became the hooker for the southeast Queensland side, and I represented that team three years in a row. Didn't quite kick on to the Queensland Australian sides, but um, played played with and against guys that, that played in the NRL, Nick Kenny and, and, and Jordan Atkins, in and amongst those. Um, those rep sides and that rep scene and a couple of good guys Robbie Mallow who was a fixture in the Queensland Cup you know around that time in the uh, mid 2000s so yeah it, it was it was brilliant um, 
one of those years I did a full pre-season at a Queensland Cup club at Brothers Valleys and ended up playing a couple of trial games but wasn't going to make the top squad so I, um, so I left and went back to um, went back to university footy and um, yeah always loved it only and then I retired and did my ACL a couple of times and a few years ago where I was taking my kid in the training in Banyo and um, I went and um, one of the boys a few of the boys knew me and said Doxy you want to have a run I said yeah I'll, I'll come and train and then training led to playing and then I ended up captain in the, the open threes for the um, for the first um, for that year I hadn't had played in four years and I went from there to captain and I'd had a good year and Actually, funny story is that I hadn't, I hadn't played in bloody years, and my wife and my two kids went to um, went to watch me in this trial against a bit of a local derby, Manio and North St. Joseph's. And they were on the halfway line, and our scrum's packed down. So I haven't played in four years. They'd, I don't think they'd ever seen me play. My daughter hadn't. Um, and then um, they packed down this scrum. The next minute, the bloody prop, two props, one from Banyo and St. Joseph's, are throwing them. And um, this hooker decided to bloody jab me so I thought I can't have this so I said get this in here bang bang hit him twice and the refs come over and stopped it and I throw another one at him and, and um, did you get sent off whatever no I didn't get sent off um, I managed, managed to stay in the game but I couldn't believe it here I am but he hadn't played in four years and, and was a peaceful fellow at this stage and I had to yeah had to throw a few fifty cuffs and my kids were only about three metres away watching them. <laughs> like interesting Yes, I mean you certainly played quite a bit of rugby league that I that I know about over the last, uh, you know, pretty hard, a lot of the time. You know, pretty a good six or seven years of rugby league since I've known you, where you just you played and, and at different times, um, recovering from injuries and uh, and you always very accomplished. Uh, obviously, I think back in your really young days when you're about 18, you started out on the wing um, and then moved. As you bulked up, moved uh, sort of more into the number nine role mainly uh, as a hooker. So very accomplished and always uh, leading, you know, leading your team to to hopefully victories. In, but you can't always win. But um, yeah, so going back to business, um, I remember one of the other jobs you had. Uh, you used to work for a guy with a who looked like your, your seventy Sam uh, um, at Furniture Direct. Can you remember that? Yeah, well, I left Coke. I thought I was going to become a banker, so I um, went there to Commonwealth Bank and, and did about four months up in the in the Queen Street at the Commonwealth Bank building. And I remember just looking out the window and seeing all these coke cars and you know, drive past, and thinking, "What have I done?" I've, I thought I'd become a stockbroker or something, and, and so I left left the job with a territory and shares every pay, you know, the company, phone, the laptop, and all that sort of stuff. And basically, um, yeah, I think I made the wrong decision, but I did. There, went, you know, it was good. Um, learn a lot about um, just data accuracy, I guess, and, and um, you know, administration of the bank. But it, yeah, it wasn't for me. Um, and then yeah, we couldn't wait to get back, you know, working with people and, and uh, yeah, furniture to wreck. So a couple of years on a, on a furniture floor, and, and that started. That really it was good, you know, selling lounge suites and, and you know furniture packages and a bit of electrical. Uh, like I said Chandler's was the at that point with a couple of furniture stores, so I was selling some white goods. Um, but yeah, that really planted seeds for what I do later on um, myself, um, you know, becoming a retailer of my own. Yeah, so you've been um, pretty much your own boss for at least 10 years now, I think. Um, I guess if you go back to you know, before you were 30, yeah, obviously um, you had uh, dreams maybe of being your own boss, 
um, you, had, you had some great ideas. Tell me how the, the great ideas sort of came about that you think you could be in control of your own destiny uh, when it came to business. Uh, obviously, you had, you had your degree um, at Griffith, uh, very well renowned uh, there. I think they even use you in the advertising, I think, from memory. Uh, but tell us about when, how it all sort of started. I think one of the first locations you set up was uh, down at Ipswich, wasn't it? Yeah, well, basically, around the, about 2004, I, um, I was trying to do everything I could to get back back on the road and an external job, and um, I started working at Cadbury's Webs, and um, I really wanted to get what I had, what I, I lost at Coke. And so yeah, I ended up working with Cadbury's Webs, and they were they were distributing Pepsi at the time. And so um, my coke experience helped me get that job. And yeah, and, but um, six months later, I got offered a gig with 4PC, and one of the cadetship in in um, as an account executive selling radio advertising. And basically, if you you know my degree was marketing at university, so that was you know, a dream job really to work with something across media. But I was there a few months, and one of my clients in the valley of the furniture retailer and he was giving me uh, a lot of his excess stock in small wares, ornaments, and handicrafts, basically things he didn't want. Um, what I was doing was giving him a bit of free advertising on a, on a sister radio station and uh, he was giving me this stuff, he said, take it down the markets and whatever we get for it, we'll go halves. So, um, actually your brother was instrumental in, in me before that he was selling clothing down at Rock Lee and, and um, I take it on with him remember we got up at 1am or something and waited in line so we get a good shop get a good stall and Nick your brother was had all these clothes and um, that he was selling I thought Jesus going to wear clothes anyway we were just cleaning up and that really planted seeds because I didn't actually know how easy it was to go to markets and actually licenses I, I was a bit oblivious and so I put I put barriers up that weren't there. I, I can honestly say, probably but for Nick, I, I may not have been going to them. Um, so what happened was, um, I got my confidence there with your brother Nick, that yeah, you can go to market and you can make money, because it is an element of risk, you're paying for a site, you've got to buy the goods, and, you know, we'll come up with the goods from somewhere, and you can sell them, make, make a profit, and pay someone if you've got a person. So there is a, there's an element of risk there. Some people would never even, you know, um, undertake that risk. But long short of it is that um, I cut my teeth there with your brother and then I started doing my own markets and whilst I was at 4 so I was doing them on weekends and I was just really really passionate about them and I just started to love them and I, and I went from selling those handicrafts to, to pot plants to mangoes to toys to basically anything I could get that I think I could that someone would buy off me of the markets um, and so I was just finishing my last semester at university as well at that time and I thought to myself what are you going to do here, you know, what are you going to do with your life, are you going to try and get, you know, undertake a graduate program, um, get a job at a big company again, or I thought, you know what, I'm going to be a professional market stallholder, I'm going to go to markets every day of the week, and um, be the master of my own destiny, which, if some kid told me that now, I'd say that you're an idiot, um, but no one was there to tell me that, and so, um, Basically, that's what I set about doing. And I remember at my last exam at university, I've been chatting with this girl in the library, and she's like, oh, are you coming out to partying tonight? And I'm like, no, no, no. She's we just graduated. We just finished our last ever exam. I said, no, I'm going to the markets tomorrow morning. You know, I've got to be up early. And she's like, you serious? I said, yeah. And we, we walked back 
to her car and my truck and she looked in there and she goes, you are serious? I said, yeah, I've got just goods swarming all over my car. And so I went out to um, this shop, this uh, the market, markets at Ipswich that were held on every every uh, Wednesday in a mall, I think, or every Thursday. And basically I was going to get a market store there for the day. And then I spoke to the centre manager and he goes, oh, I'm just going to go and get the keys. He goes, you're after a stall? I said, yep. So I, um, I was waiting for him. I'm thinking, gee, this, this stall must be pretty fancy. It must have a canopy or something. Or what does it even need a key? Anyway, what happened was he misunderstood me. He thought that I had said store. And so he's come down and opened up a shop front instead, and it, which used to be a, uh, it was a prominent jeweler. It was an Amy's jeweler that had closed. And he goes, is this the sort of store that you're after? Now, I had said stall. And... Um, that I asked him, he goes, how much is it? And, I said, and he said, three, 300. I'm thinking, geez, 300 a day? The market store was 80 bucks for the day. I can't afford it. And he goes, 300 a week. So I just put my hand out and said, yep, done deal, take it. And so basically that day, I put, I put the equivalent stock that I had for the market store in this shop, right, which was two tables. I had two, two of these tables from Bunnings, just with bits and pieces on them, and I had one picture. So that, that's what I put in this shop. And... Um, and basically, um, yeah, I, I turned that that market store in, into um, into what I have now, which is two 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 retail shops and a couple of online channels. Yeah, so that's where the retail dream for you started. I mean, that's that's a really good story, Matt. And um, and obviously from there, just you slowly sort of built, built things up over the years. And um, I remember you had you know prominent locations at at um, at Toomble for quite some time and also Aspley uh, before going to the hypermarket um, so some great locations but um, and it was it was mainly sort of different to, so I guess some of the different things that were selling back in those days um, That what, what were the things that you were selling at your shops because it wasn't quite a, a mixed cafe shop as it is now I mean you were selling um, you know obviously quite a few different types of knickknacks and stuff like that yeah, well, at university I'd studied second year Indonesian as part of my uh, part of my degree, which I'd learned at school, and, and so I was going over to Bali quite a lot to a just have fun and, and but b um, the idea of maybe importing some furniture. But what I was really interested in were all the all the carvings and all those sort of things there, the you know, ornaments that were that were made in villages and made with with by hand, and so I just found them interesting. So. Um, I wanted to set up a shop that was that was just interesting. Had things they just couldn't get, uh, you know, easily. And so yeah, that's what it did. So that's at that stage, yeah, we were selling you know, big um, carved hippopotamuses and elephants and um, unique bloody tables. And you know. remember, I used to buy all those giraffes. Remember that? Yeah, you did, Timmy. You had a house full of them. Um, you've always been a good customer, which is a good one. And definitely integral to our success, which I guess I can chat to, chat about later on. But um, but yeah, we, we had a really interesting story. I'd, I'd have I'd have um, dowry chests from from India, and, and you know, and screens, and just a lot of unique, really unique wares, rugs from Afghanistan, um, I'd have Mexican pottery, Egyptian pottery, just all, all kinds of different things that, that you can get in different parts of the world, but. Um, that was very niche, and then during the GFC, a lot of people stopped buying 
things that you didn't need, and that's really what I sold. I sold stuff that you didn't need. It was all discretionary. And I remember going to a bakery next door to me, Baker's Delight at Toomble, where we worked for four years, and also at Tagum for a couple of years too. Um, but I remember going to this bakery, and I'd line up for my bloody blueberry scone, buck 55 it was back then, and then there was a line up about six deep. And the girls behind there, they were, they were notoriously rude. And not, they weren't liked by the other retailers and sellers that were bloody rude, but I just couldn't believe how busy this place was. And I thought, these guys are fortuitous in, in, in the sense that they're selling something that people need. They need food and beverage. They don't need, and, and, and as I said, and they, and they weren't even friendly, but yet they, they were busy. And I just said to myself, you backed the wrong horse here, Matt. You need to, you need to do something else. So... I didn't realise what that that I'd actually end up doing it. I just thought that I'd back the wrong horse, but um, yeah, lo and behold, as I'm a bit later in the track, I'd be, you know, I'd be selling food and beverage, and that'd become the the biggest part of my business. Yes, so I remember, you know, it's actually seven and a half years ago now that uh, we're laying the floor at uh, the Aspley Hypermarket. I remember um, the Bengaluru guy was uh, <laughs> laying it down, and then going back and you know satisfying his his family but um, <laughs> but yeah I remember that seven and a half years ago laying the floor at the Aspley Hypermarket where the I guess the the dual uh, operation started with the cafe food and also the homewares all in one um, and uh, always a big risk uh, to, to try something new but uh, you'd done your research you, you obviously made a comment that you, you know you, you had a way of sort of making it work Prior to that, the most you'd pretty really employed was a couple of people um, before you started that, and now here we are, seven and a half years later, and certainly over the last two or three years, you've you've got a payroll, you know, nearly 25, 30 people sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you mentioned the word uh, risk. Um, I was a punter by nature, right, and. Um, I gambled when I was a young kid, I grew up in a racing family and, and it was a pastime of the family and, and something that being competitive that you know, we could always enjoy but um, along, the, along the way though I got addicted to it so I became addicted to gambling when I was a young kid from about you know, probably 15, 16 and I was punting at the tab by myself um, all the way up to sort of 22 and you know, this Tim would go to casinos. We used to, you and I used to have this thing. We used to call the Confederacy, where we tip in money each and, and um, play blackjack for hours on end. And I think that some of those times, if you actually won, I think it won about eleven hundred at the bloody um, Jupiter's Casino one night. But, but that was a, probably one of the only times I can ever remember walking out of a casino with money. But yeah, I was a terrible gambler, uh, and I was on the cusp of becoming a, a, a degenerate, and so I had to, I had to stop it. Um, but what it, unfortunately what had happened for me was I had um, I'd ruined my credit rating and, and I'd lent money everywhere left, right and centre when I had those jobs that we were talking about earlier on and I never paid, never, just didn't pay back loans and I'd lost all the money and so I couldn't borrow money again for, for a while so um, for those of you, you, know, you guys don't know me but I've had a bet now in, um, in 17 years how I've done that is by attending Gambles Anonymous and uh, I'm a regular GA member and I chair a lot of meetings over at my home group in Macrovat um, and as I said 17 years gamble free and, and since then life's a whole lot better um, but 
the good thing is is that uh, I can borrow money again. So in 2001, I think it was the last time that I had a loan, prior to 2009 when I needed to get some money to start this um, cafe business that I wanted to, that I wanted to, what I wanted to amalgamate or integrate into my uh, my homeware setting. Because as I said, people, people didn't need a lot of things that I was selling, and I started transition into selling big furniture items because I had a big shop over over uh, Robinson Road Aspley and and, um, and then I got another 200 square metre site at the hypermarket and so that I quickly realised that we went there and trialled it as a homeware store I wanted to trial the centre and I quickly realised that, that there'd be a little um, there'd be a, an opportunity there food because it's one of the few centres that I've ever been in and having worked for Coke at Cadbury I travelled to you know, a lot of centres in South East Queensland and Hypermarket was one of the only centres that I identified where it had, a, it had a couple of entrances, but the, all the food and beverages was on one entrance. There was absolutely none, zero, uh, on the entrance where I had this shop. And so I thought, geez, if we could actually have a food and beverage business here, we'd, we'd clean up um, and do well, and, and we did. And so we, we set that up. But yeah, I didn't have any money back then, so I, at that stage I'd, I had a... Um, I had... I had an $18,000 credit card, right, which was massive because I couldn't, as I said, it took me seven or eight years before I could borrow money again. The ANZ finally started lending money. And I went and saw this banker over at, over at, the, um, at the branch, the business banker, and he said, what, what do you, you want to see me, Matt? You want to double your, you want to double your credit card? I said, yes. And he goes, what do you want that for? I said, well, I want to, I want to um, set up a, you know, a business. He goes, well, you could do a business loan, but... Bit, you know, a bit hard to get. I said, no, just uh, don't worry about that. Just if you can, he goes, this would be, look, this would be, you know, a relatively easy way for you to get finances. The bank were happy. I mean, there's a bloody better 21% interest card, uh, interest rate card. And um, so they lent me the, he said to me, are you telling me that, that if I lend you $18,000 that your business is going to grow? I said, yes. So we, we turn over $200,000 a year at the moment, which is what I had in this little gift at homeware store. And he goes, what do you anticipate? I said, yeah, I think we can we can double our turnover. So we, we can turn about $200,000 into a $400,000 year turnover. I said, yeah, we can do that. And he's like, okay, well, that's an easy decision. I'll double, I'll double your credit card and then you double your turnover. So we funded this business on a credit card. And um, and so, yeah, as Tim said, I, you know, setting up, I, I laid those floors with my own hands and I had to hire a couple of my Bangladeshi neighbours to, uh, to give me a hand because it was going to cost me about 21000 to lay that floor and I just didn't have that money so I paid those boys 150 a day to, to help me and, um, and another one of our fellows who works in the business employee Jim uh, who's, who's an admin but he helped at the time as well and um, yeah and, and you know that, that's how we got started and, but we never had any never had, I worked at KFC and McDonald's as a kid but I was a retailer with, with a business degree and some big big business experience but I never I never, um, I didn't really understand, you know, the cafe industry. I had to learn really quick. Uh, Jim, I mean, Jim's an interesting character, Matt. He's, um, uh, is he, is he sort of like a mentor of yours? I know he, if he, if, if you piss him off, he doesn't get, he's, he's, he's none too happy at you, is he? But, uh, um, tell me how you met Jim and how he sort of became, uh, instrumental in, in some of the things that you've done in the business there and how you consider him a mentor or not. Yeah, Jim, Jim's a mentor in the sense that he is meticulous in, in his approach uh, to, to, to how he goes about his work and his admin. Um, he's a very, very stable person. He's very consistent. He's very reliable. 
honest as they come. So um, there's a lot of qualities he has that I respect. But uh, before that, he was a friend, you know. And um, he, when I was at my, my gift shop at Tumble, he was working at a, at a wholesaler called Diamond Wholesalers, and and so he was running their books. And so we, I, you know, I was a customer of theirs, and that's how I got to know him. And, and they were supplying us, and I built a good relationship with him. And anyway, that closed, and Jim was looking for a job. And I said, "Why don't you come work with us?" And he said, "Well, you know, you're not, you're not big enough to, to, to have me or need me." And I said, "Well, I think we will be. Uh, I think our business will grow, and, and, um, and I think you'll be surprised." Uh, and so, anyway, Jim had come from Arnott's well before that. He had a state role with, with Arnott's. Um, finance, payroll, both, and, and so to me, even though he was old, I, I just thought he was a massive coup, you know, a lot of people diminish experience really quickly, and as I said, he's old, when I say old, he's just older, and he couldn't get a job, and I, I just thought that was just bizarre, and so for me, it was a real coup to get someone like him to come work with us, and, and it turned to be a very good decision, because he's been with us ever since, and, and he works out of our, um, out of our office now, and you know, we, we've grown got two sites and two online channels and a small wholesale division and, and yeah he along with having a, a having very very good accountant and a good professional network uh, having someone like him in the business that we employ to to keep you know our paperwork uh, and the system all our admin up to speed has just been you know an absolute um, foundation a pillar you know of our business and people work to its to its success yeah, okay. Um, I guess what, another thing really, Matt, is, I mean, I, as, as being an accountant, I see a lot of, I do see a lot of retail businesses, um, and I see a lot of, I do see and have seen a lot of mixed results in this space, um, especially when you look at the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, you know, we've, we've sort of told your story a bit to... to to give you an idea where things are at at the moment, but um, what do you think is some of the secrets that you've had that you've been able to employ a lot of staff, uh, be able to get a lot of customers coming in and out the door, uh, they obviously like your product, they like products, uh, obviously like your cafe experience, they like your uh, lunch uh, restaurant and breakfast over at uh, Sandgate, which is... Uh, Mount Thomas Sandgate store uh, is a, like a really a flagship, great location. Um, obviously, a great decision to have that location, Matt. Um, any other secrets that really make you stand out from the from what I you know your competitors? Because I think if you look at your competitors, about seventy or eighty percent of them, um, you know, certainly aren't aren't on your level. Yeah, well, thanks, Tim. Um, I appreciate that. Mate, business is, is incredibly tough, but uh, and it's it's simple yet complex. Okay, so simple, you know, you can say, well, this is about good customer service, having good quality, quality service, very very simple. But there are lots of ingredients that 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 contribute to uh, to quality service, and, you know, and, and, and a quality product. So. For us, one of the secrets is that, is that we we get a lot of those ingredients right. Um, we have good people. Our staff are well presented. 
okay, there's certain, you know, in our business, you, you've got to present it in a certain fashion. We're very nice uniforms, they're all consistent. Yeah, ab- absolutely, just this stand- a standardised uniform. Um, our business is always clean, they're open on time, okay, they're, they're, they're shop-friendly. In terms of products, we, you know, I like having best of breed. To me, when you talk about value, often we've talked, you know, people say, well, that's good value, and we're talking about, a lot of people that refer that, they, they're talking about an inexpensive item. But to me, the value is in the quality. So for us to present good value to the customer, we need, we need good quality products, and in some cases, best of breed. And so we've got, many cases, best of breed. We've got a lot of those products in the industry. So my store has deviated away from, away from, uh, you know, those unique um, niche items that I was selling years ago that were, that, that had their own sense of, of quality. But to be honest, um, you know, now we are at that whole more, at that whole new level that you're talking about with with having products that are that people know their brands. I'll just give you an idea. Some of those brands, Tim. So we're we're, we're an authorised reseller of Royal Dalton. That's a that's a, it's a long established brand. Waterford, Wedgwood, Royal Albert, Noritaki, Glasshouse Candles. I love the socks, mate. These bamboo socks. Bamboozle. Best bamboozle. socks in the shop. You know, brands that are sold commonly in, 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 in iconic stores like David Jones. We, we'll, sell, we'll sell more bamboozle this year over Christmas than David Jones will the I guarantee you. Um, Circa, Pepper McGrove, Toby's Estate Coffee. We've got brands that people know and trust and, and that are quality and all that. When you put them all together uh, and then you combine comfort you know, in, our, in our furniture, which again, is, people underestimate that in, in hospitality and um, you know, in tourism, that, that what furniture will do for a business, just being comfortable. So we made a big, you know, we don't, we don't just go and put rubbish in our shops or, you know, in our, in our cafes. We made a very big investment, perhaps overcapitalised, some would say, on, on, that, on those items. We were setting up Sandgate and Aspley. Um, and the, the, I happen to go to school with a guy from Eurofern that, that sells traditionally to pubs and clubs and uh, big hotel chains and so forth and casinos and businesses that can afford their furniture. But I, I was adamant that we had to have those. And, and so we, we're typically not his customer base, but uh, in a small independent cafe, which we're not now. We're not, we're not small. Um, we're independent, but we're, we're sizable. But um, that, to me, was, was just an absolute necessity, and, and that's... Uh, incredibly important. So when you throw in, throw in, yeah, stylish, stylish fixtures, comfortable furniture, good signage, quality staff that speak to people, um, sophisticated in, in the way that we do things, good technology, good, good pod systems. Again, that's you know, a, a retail operation along with furniture. I'd possibly say that the your pod systems your absolute most important thing to get right. So again, we didn't muck around there. We spent big money on. Getting the, getting the right systems that, um, and in a food business, it's all about minimising steps, minimising time to do things. So, because time is money, and so we quality equipment um, that worked. So yeah, you throw a lot of those things together, Tim, and you, and you, and you get a good result. And as I said, in the background, having good advice, and that professional advice, and that partnership, and you've been along the way. I mean, you were. You, I remember you coming out to my shop, which in 05, uh, helping us get set up with um, my MYOB Retail Basics, and, and I felt that that was, that was cutting edge at the time, it was great, you know? Yeah, it certainly, at the time, definitely. Yeah, and, and, and but 
these days, yeah, operating in a, you know, at, at a different level with funds. Um, yeah, we've got HR, cloud-based system, you know, we've got, we've got cloud-based payroll, we've got quality accounts, we've got, you know, we've got lawyers in the background should we need them. Um, good blue chip location. Now I didn't speak about that. Uh, that's the hardest probably thing. If I'm, if I'm looking at sites you now, and, and the hardest, you know, opening up more businesses from a resource perspective for me is not, for more sites is not difficult. I can open up three or four more sites you know, with a lot of suppliers that help out and you know, I find the money to do it. But the reality is it's very, very hard to find a, a tenancy or a location that will work. Uh, and that, that is worth, worth the money that a lot of landlords are asking for. Happen to have two. We got a, we got a, we got a hell of a location in the Aspen Hot Market, which is a, a parasite uh, store in the sense that it feeds off the traffic of, of, of majors, or i.e. coals on one side of it, Aldi on the other. So it's just blue chip. The other one, Seagate, uh, which is which is a destination store. It doesn't have any any uh, neighbouring tenancy. So if you're if you're going to it, you're you're, you're going to eat a bit alone. So it has to be something. So like Tim said, we're a breakfast venue there, and we do a lot of things, but. We are breakfast specialists. We've got 22 item breakfast menu that people travel for. Not uncommon to find people that you know that are prominent little god celebrity that goes there. Um, but it's it's certainly quality and the quality ingredients in a quality setting. But it's an historic old uh, heritage building that overlooks the water. Um, beautiful. It's at 50 Terracina. I way if you want to go there, but um, we've got those sites. So coupled that with with the brands that we sell way in which we do business and, and the eagerness to, to go above and beyond um, for the customer, um, you know, we, we're running an okay business. Yeah, that's excellent. That's a great story and, and hopefully the listeners will get get something out of um, some of the advice that you sort of delivered there uh, to be able to help them, especially if they're looking in, in the retail, because I consider you, um, you know, certainly a retail um, uh, success. Um, the other, I guess, um, one of the things, uh, one of the, one of the things I, I guess wanted to share with the listeners today is a few of our bits of uh, on our journey as mates over the last 19 years, nearly. Um, I got married in uh, 2013 in Vegas um, with my wife Fiona. Uh, so that's five and a half years or more ago now. Um, Obviously, all close family, sort of most of the close family came across to see the wedding at uh, the Chapel of Flowers. Uh, I did have one of my, one friend of mine who also decided to come along. I invited him and I really, really appreciate that uh, he, he took the effort to fly all the way over to Vegas. Uh, we had not played a game of golf at Tiger Woods Golf Course. We uh, went out and uh, Gordon Ramsay for dinner and all that sort of stuff at stake. Um, but I really pre- always will never forget uh, you coming along and uh, we had a great time but uh, definitely I think on, on the wedding day you did make me a bit nervous didn't you mate? Yeah mate as you know I'm bloody notoriously late for things uh, occasionally and um, yeah well, a couple of things stood out to me too that day but uh, but yeah mate no it was, it was a bit late what happened was I can't remember what we were doing that morning. I think I think we went out a coffee. went out for breakfast at the Mirage. I think. Yeah, we went out for breakfast at the Mirage and a coffee over at Starbucks there, and um, and that was all good. But uh, when we got back to the uh, the hotel, you and your brother started putting on a bloody tuxedo, and I'm thinking, 
what have they, what have they got tuxedos for? I mean, don't people wear bloody Elvis suits and whatnot when they when they get married in uh, in Vegas? So, you know, I remember specifically being in my room before I packed, and I, and I, I put a, I'm thinking, what do I got to take here? So I put a, a business shirt, a business uh, shirt, and, and some chinos in my in my bag, and I'm thinking, oh, doesn't matter if you're a bit overdressed. Overdressed. <laughs> and so, so I've got so. I've, I've got back to this hotel, your brother, you know, and I thought, geez, these guys are in bloody tuxedos. I've got this, so all of a sudden I'm, I'm feeling underdressed. Um, so I thought, no, stuff this, I've got to go and fix this. So I said, all right, boys, I'll be back soon. Now, I think I had the key to, I think I had the key to the safe where Tim had his wife's uh, wedding ring. And, um, but, yeah, I, I took off. I went and got a taxi down there, some shopping centre in Vegas, and was looking around for a um, for something to wear. And anyway, I came up with a, I put a sports jacket uh, over what I was wearing that, that I, you know, that I, that I looked apart. But I took my time getting there. And I, when I got back, um, these guys were in the lobby, and Tim was furious. Yes, I remember uh, quite well, Matt. Um, we had to get the hotel to break into the safe in order to get the keys because we didn't know when you were coming back. We are in Vegas. None of us had phones that were connecting at the time. We couldn't, be, we couldn't talk to each other like we should have probably been able to do as well. But um, So we had to get the hotel to break into the safe just to get the, the rings. And uh, it was a midday. It was actually a midday um, ceremony, I believe. And um, we're coming up to about you know quarter to past 11 and you still hadn't returned. Um, and we were all ready, and uh, so we said, oh, shit, we're just going to have to fucking go. We're just going to have to go here. And as we're going out the turnstiles, uh, out of the Harrah's Hotel, um, we're going out and uh, into the limo, and uh, you're coming in. Yeah, well, I'm coming in, and, and then these guys are all shaking their bloody head at me. And I'm thinking, and their dad, and everyone looking at me like, I'd, like I'm a bloody terrorist or something, and I'm thinking, fuck, what's, what's going on here? And so basically... Um, you know, I thought I'd let everyone down, but I'd actually been looking forward to going to limo. You know, I'm a kid from Nanda, grew up as a, as, a, as a battler. I can't remember, I don't think there's a minute of stretch, so I was I was looking forward to that limo ride, but I got back and these bastards just took off. There was there was no waiting for me. Um, so I had to get out. I had to go upstairs and probably put my new, my new bloody sports jacket on and get a taxi there. But actually, uh, guess who guess who beat them there? Yeah, your taxi overtook the limo. I don't remember. You, you were, that must have been the quickest uh, upstairs, downstairs change and into the cab in history, I reckon, <laughs> to be able to do all this pretty crazy stuff. Um, pretty crazy. And uh, But it's a, it's a night we'll never never forget, that's for sure. And, uh, um, yeah, we've had some, some crazy adventures together. Um, but I guess one of the... Obviously, we're going to watch our friend Ben uh, fight in Adelaide uh, tomorrow um, he's going to win that's that's a definite um, but how did we sort of first get onto these boys I mean it was actually uh, one of the UFC fighters turning up in, at Aspley uh, in his uh, UFC gear that's how we sort of started to meet all these guys isn't it yeah well um, as I said I'm a massive sports fan and um, yeah I, I love it when, when a sporting celebrity you know gets Eats or drinks, you know, one of our stores. So I'd only read about um, Damien Brown in the newspaper and the Curie Mail, the big feature piece on him, um, 
you know, a few days before I saw him, you know, get the coffee, and I walked up to him. I, I, I vaguely remember seeing him there once or twice before, and he had the big cauliflower ear, and I just walked up and said, get him, mate. So you, you know, you're a sea fighter, eh? And he goes, yeah, Damien. And um, I said, oh, Matt. And uh, I said, I own the place. He goes, yeah, I've been drinking coffee here for years. And so um, I just hadn't come across him. And, and um, so not always in that side of the in that department and and so yeah we just we got chatting and told him I was a fan and, and just really, really loved his story um, and so yeah so that, that started a, that started a, you know a friendship and then we offered Damien you know minor sponsorship where he can, he can come and eat complimentary and um, we're looking after him with you know good healthy food um, during his fight camps and, and coffee for him to relax and, and for his wife and so basically um you know, developed a bit of rapport. We went over to Auckland to watch, to watch, um, watch Beatdown fight over there. And at the hotel there, I, uh, I, I caught up with him and, and introduced him to, to Tim. And and, um, and then yeah, that started a that started a friendship with you know Damien Tim's and you know you gotta understand you, you guys that don't know Tim Tim's an absolute um, historian when it comes to things he's passionate about and a fanatic. And so he's like a big kid, actually. But uh, if it's not golf, you know, all of a sudden he never played golf, and he started playing golf, and he could he could recite 20 years of golf history to you. He, he, he got married to a wife, you know, Triple J. Tim had, Tim had listened to Bloody B105 his whole life. Now he's a now he's a muso and starts going to music festivals every year and splendor in the grass and all this sort of stuff. So this guy just you know it was WWE before that, and bloody you know, it's basketball. Um, you know now it's. Before that, he's still in the bloody fantasy basketball league, at, at, you know. But uh, now it's um, the UFC, and so for Tim to meet a real life UFC star, he was a it was a big deal, and so um, it, it just yeah, it was pretty cool. And, um, and so, but yeah, so Ben and Damien became good mates, and uh, sorry, Tim and um, Damien became good mates as well. And now Tim looks after Damien's uh, you know accounting and accounting affairs, and but yeah, we met Ben. And uh, Tim and Tim and Ben are really good mates, and and yeah, and, and likewise, Benny's a mate of mine, and he comes in too. We've got for him the same same sponsorship, so it's it's great. And it's just great to see these guys living out their dreams, and um, just the courage, the courage is to actually get in a ring in front of thousands of people uh, with nowhere to hide. Once that once that that cage is locked, um, just to be vulnerable and to to focus. And to, to control your fear, I, you know, I just think it's absolutely uh, immense and, and just impressive, and and so I really really admire it. I admire anybody that gets in there, but, uh, but to know these two guys personally, uh, to be on their journey, you know, albeit in a, in a very small way, is yeah, super. Yeah, no, it's um, <coughs> we've had both of Ben and Damien on the From the Valley podcast. They're uh, have uh, given us some really good stories, some good uh, uh, insights behind their um, their background. You should listen to those podcasts. I think <laughs> you might get something out of them. But um, they are very good guys. But you know, um, it's good. It's great to support them. This is actually. Have you, have you been to Adelaide before? This is the first time I've ever been to Adelaide. No, mate. I, I didn't been there, and that's that's the other great thing that you know, as, as we've gotten older and. and uh, you know, our friendship, and we're both, you know, established in our in our careers that, you know, we can afford to go and go and do this, go and stay in good hotels, and fly down and and 
you know, you get good seats and it's all, they're all blessings and they're things that I, I don't lose sight of and so no, I've never been here but can't wait to get there and just have a look around the city and um, yeah, and, and again, it's extra special in that, in that we'll catch up um, with these guys down there and, and before they fight and or before Ben fights and um, yeah, just just adds another level of intrigue and and just adds a lot more excitement to it, knowing that one of our mates, um, you know, it was not that long ago over at our house watching, playing bloody backyard cricket with us and mucking around the backyard and watching, <laughs> we watched a Conor McGregor fight at my house actually, um, and before that Damo was over playing backyard cricket, so these guys are good mates and just to, just to be over there and, and then, you know, I, I'd go anyway, as I love sport, I'm just absolute sporting nut, um, but to when, when you know one of the, the guys there on stage, it's... Yeah, phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal indeed. And I mean, it's a big. It's been a big. It's a huge uh, weekend of boxing as well as uh, two UFC events on this weekend. Um, we we were at Suncorp Stadium last night, Matt. Um, Mundine versus uh, Horn. Um, very intriguing. You know, name name versus name because both these guys are, are big names in Australian boxing. Um, you know, very late sort of start. I mean, I think I lost a hundred dollars on the. You know, we didn't have a bet, but <laughs> but um, but I lost I lost the uh, that. Um, Sipping and hopefully the fight was going to start a bit earlier, but we didn't get it. End up starting till about ten thirty. Uh, but ten thirty two p.m. Fight was over. Um, Horn knocks out Mundine. Uh, just precision precision boxing. Uh, getting on him early and Mundine just had no answers. What's your take on the fight? Oh, look, to be honest, just a great spectacle. Um, you know, Jeff's Jeff first pack here there was massive, massive of Brisbane. Um, so, just the fact that it got put together, you know, was great. And I don't know if there's any other fighter in you know Australia that that Jeff could afford that that thirty five thousand people would have got to want to watch. You know, and. I've been following Chuck Mundine since the late 90s. Um, I used to play rugby league with a fellow um, at the back end of his career called Daryl Duncan. He was a, a Rothman's medal, medal winner in, in Brisbane and he knew Tommy Rodonicus uh, back. Uh, he was coached by Tommy. Yeah, Tommy coached New South Wales. So Daryl got us into an after party in the, in the, um, the late 90s. Uh, New South Wales origin after party and Mundine had played in that series. And uh, a non-drinker. And uh, as as I was pretty much at the time, and um, so I spent about half an hour with him at this after party. A little guy in a beanie, who I asked him what the time was. He was sitting away from the New South Wales players. Um, this was this was at City Rowers in Brisbane, Eagle Street, and we just got chatting to him, and I was just blown away by this guy's humility and and um, just beautiful smile, and very different to the mundane that people you know talk about, and the, you know the guy that the guy that. Puts on a puts on a persona to to build up his fights. Um, so yeah, got to know him there personally, and um, at, you know on that night, and and then I've just followed his career ever since. As a young kid, I, I bought his first pay per view against um, Sven Oki, which back back you know I think it was about 2000, 2001. That was a big investment for me to be able to you know to be able to, to, be able to do that and. Um, I've just been following him ever since. So I've, I've never been to one of his fights, though. And in in my circle, and probably the guys I know that likes him, but I just just love him. I just think he's a freak. He, he could have been a basketball player. He, he um, was, a, was, a, was a just a genius footballer, as a lot of Indigenous are. Just so exciting to watch. 
Um, and as a boxer, just just beautiful silky skills and just so evasive, so hard to hit, so fit. Um, 43 years old, always a massive ask against Jeff. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, um, you know what I really enjoyed about that fight last night was just the fact that it was that it was on, and I loved the, the ring walk from London when it came out. With, you know, with a few different Indigenous songs and, and treaty, like a few indie, James Robert, Jimmy the Jet, you know, the Brisbane Centre carrying the flag on the way out, just seeing Chuck happy. It was just like a, to me, it was a celebration of of, um, of of what he's done for the sport. I mean, he got you're boxing on the map again. It was dead when he came along. Jeff Finnick had long retired. We had no one else. No, Kostya was done. Um, you know, against Ricky Hatton. So um, we didn't really have a, a sport. So he he's just revolutionised that sport um, here in Australia. That's irrefutable. Massive fan of, of Mundine. I just love the fact that he doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. Great role model for the, for the Indigenous. And it was what I noticed last night was the amount of Indigenous there that that were there to watch and just kids and adults that that had someone to look to and he gave him some hope and, and yeah he made the he made um, you know he made it and he's very successful he's been very smart with his money that's what's well noted and, and he, to me he's someone that you that you, that you look at that he's someone for them to look up to uh, but yeah Jeff, Jeff power punched too big um, too strong just yeah that's that was always what I thought uh, was it was a danger to chalk that if, if, if Jeff hit him and yeah, and got him, and geez, he got, he got him early, and got him yeah, that was all she wrote. That was a great spectacle, very well summed up there. Um, obviously, one a fight that we've been looking forward to for a long time as well on on Sunday as well, Matt. Um, we've got two unbeaten heavyweights. We've got Deontay Wilder, we've got Tyson Fury, the lineal heavyweight champion. There's a lot of intrigue around this matchup. Um, we, we listen to. Tyson Fury's podcast with uh, Joe Rogan, very, um, very emotional story. Must listen to that uh, if you want to listen to a, a good podcast. Only goes for about an hour. Um, that was one of the, the best ones that, that I've ever seen. It gives you a bit of insight into depression, that um, uh, mental health uh, issues that uh, Tyson Fury has gone through over the last uh, two to three years. Uh, he's back. He's lean. I'm sure he's uh, made a good weight. Um, Deontay Wilder, big, big fight. Both guys six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine, massive and tall. I think Wilder's pretty much knocked out every fight that he's ever been in. Um, but he's, you know, he fights, he winds up. How do you see this going? Yeah, well, just on your on the mental health again. I just want to reiterate that exercise is such an underrated treatment. For, for mental health and even just stress, just just basic stress that, that we all carry at some stage. So, you know, exercise is just just so wonderful for it. It all gets the serotonin going and enables us to process our emotions, um, you know, in a functional way rather than a, a dis- dysfunctional one for escapism. Um, that and talking to people. And so, yeah, Tyson, Tyson obviously doing both. He's, he's training hard and he's, he's doing a lot of sharing as he did with Joe Rogan and um, yeah phenomenal story absolute phenomenal story what he did against Vladimir Klitschko um, you know a few years ago um, was just what was it two, two years or three years ago I think um, it was just absolutely um, superb to go to Dusseldorf and, and to beat him he hadn't been beaten in, in something like 11 years um, you know so 
Tyson went over there and did it and nearly did it like champion. Now he's had a couple of tune up fights since. I'd like to see him I'd like to see him have one or two more, but mate he looks he looks fit and I think he'd be very hard to hit, as he as he always is. I don't know that Wilder can hit him. He's not going to obviously Wilder's favourite. He's a big puncher. Everyone knows that. If he, if he hits Tyson, um, it can be lights out in the heavyweights. You know, all it takes is one, but he's got to do it. And um, and if he can't, and it goes a later distance in that fight, the footwork of Tyson's you know phenomenal. And if he starts hitting, and as Freddie Roach, Freddie Roach is a um, is a pretty good judge. You know, the, the famous trainer of Manny Pacquiao. Wildcard Jim in LA, he, he says that, that Tyson's a, a lot bigger punch than people give him credit for. And not just that, he, he's, he actually asked Tyson if he was left-handed. Tyson, Tyson hits um, hits hard with both. And Tyson evidently was born left-handed. So he can hit, he's got punching power with both hands. And so even a jab may do some damage to, to Wilder at some stage. So, no, I, th- I think Tyson will win. I do. Yeah, I, I, I certainly want Tyson to win, and I think he will. Um, I think he can. I think he's a, will fight a smarter fight than uh, Deontay as well. Not to say I'm sure Deontay knows uh, how to fight uh, a smart fight as well, but they're I'm not. They're, and then they're at the highest of highest of levels. These guys, um, so it, it wouldn't be surprised me if there's, um, you know, we're looking at uh, something that's going to be. Uh, talked about for a while I hope um, yeah so it's been a been a great uh, trip we're nearly not getting closer to Adelaide <coughs> and um, it's uh, Saturday the 1st of December uh, 2018 um, <coughs> and uh, it's the first time we've had you on the podcast Matt uh, you've t- told us quite a lot of uh, a lot of other a lot of stories so far um Anything else that you wanted to sort of add? Tell uh, any any other conversation starters? Anything we've forgotten about? <laughs> I thought we had it all covered, Timmy. But you're talking about Tyson now. Now Tyson, one of the things that he's you know that, that he's famous for is he's, he's a man of God. He's a Christian, and um, and that got me thinking. Yeah, and as as I am too. And so um, as I said before, you know, we felt we're blessed to go on this trip, but. Um, yeah, just blessed to blessed to be here, and um, and, and the good Lord provides, mate. Provides provides for all of us if we, you know, if we ask Him. Ask and you shall receive. But um, yeah, and I'm, I think you told me uh, yesterday, and uh, you're looking at sort of uh, doing another overseas trip soon, um, just after New Year, is it? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um, yeah, as I said very blessed you know to be able to have the resources even to go to Adelaide and um, but beyond that um, be going overseas early early next year in, in about a month's time with um, my boy and um, years ago I lived in South Korea when I when I had, before I uh, had that shop I before I started my business Matthew Thomas as I was telling Timmy I, I you know, I was a gambling addict and I'd amassed some, some debts you know, with banks. So I went over to South Korea to A, have a cultural experience, but B, work as hard as I could to um, to pay those debts back in the, in the quickest possible time. So I went over there teaching English um, and I I did that work in schools and then colleges over there and saved as much money as I could to, um, to, to pay back all the banks and some personal loans that I had uh, to brothers and so forth. And uh, I did all that and... 
and then also saved enough money over there to, to, to start my little business. Um, yeah, so absolutely um, magical time of my life that was. Um, and I'm going back over there, and I haven't been there for about a decade now, and I'm going over there with my, my boy to show him where I used to live in South Korea and to catch up with a few mates of mine that live in Seoul that have um, that are doing really well in their lives. And, and then from there... Um, we're going to Canada because he, he loves fishing, my kid, and so we're going to take him. Um, he's, always, he's always wanted to go ice fishing, so we're going to go in the, you know, in the in the snow and Whistler. We're going to go skiing. So he's never been skiing. I've, I've been a couple of times in Korea myself, so been looking forward to doing that. Um, so yeah, it'll be a trip of a lifetime. And then we'll, well, from Canada we go to uh, Dallas where I've got some family and and where he's been once before with me, and we'll catch up with them. And it's about three weeks, so real privilege. Can't wait. Another interesting dynamic, um, I guess, to share is that you come from a very big family. Um, so, big family, lots of lots of brothers, brothers, uncles, um, you know, father and mother. Uh, big family. I mean, that that must have, been, and that was all in Nunda, wasn't it? Uh, growing up around in Nunda, uh, local in Brisbane. Um, you've always stuck and lived in this part of the world, apart from obviously living in uh, Korea for that that uh, period of time but growing up in in this, in that in Brisbane um, what are the things that you really like about Brisbane as well and uh, and family life how did that sort of all develop in Brisbane for you yeah well I was raised by my grandparents um, they they raised me as as their own own son they had seven boys and a girl the girl was my mother my biological mother and uh, she had me pretty young she stayed in the house with her parents i.e. my grandparents um, for until I was about four and then moved out and I, I didn't really want to go so as a young kid I, I grew attached to my um, grandparents so they they decided and uh, we all decided that I'd, I'd stay there and they'd raise me as their as their own kid and so I called them mum and dad and I was completely blessed and it was my mother who was a father I was incredibly close to, he was soft and compassionate, wise and a strong man and, and just so caring. He was a steward in the Navy for 25 years and um, and then, and then we had about five years at a spastic centre here where he was working with the disabled. Um, my mother was a, was a strong family woman, you know, woman of God who made me go to Mass every week and always praying to Mary and the Saints and so she had that, she's had the biggest influence in my life uh, purely because of the, the fact that she introduced me to, you know, to Jesus and, and um, so yeah, I was completely um, blessed and fortunate to have been raised by them, and I've never really ever thought about who my biological father was, uh, other than the fact that I just maybe want to know about origins, but uh, yeah, I had a very good life with my grandparents, and my young mother, who I still refer to as my mum, she's done well, she's got a, she's, you know, a, a mental health nurse, and a functioning member of society, and, and uh, I'm close to her, I respect her, but completely... Um, fortunate to be raised by my, my grandparents and who are called mum and dad and they, they both passed on now um, but they gave me a great life in Nunda very very humble beginnings Nunda and Brisbane now is a very trendy affluent suburb it wasn't back then, she was rough and um, you know we came from a family a rugby league family, a punting family all you know, a bit of boxing and so forth and so um, yeah it was, it was a rough part of the world but yeah um really great but as, as Tim said I've lived overseas I've travelled overseas to, to a few big cities as well um, educated and, and a lot of my family have kicked on and, and 
uh, have done travel and work for some big companies and you know, done some good things as well. But Brisbane to me is uh, have you know has changed. To me, it's a, it's a global city. I mean, you've got you've got World Cup events here in rugby, you know, in soccer, international cricket games. You've got the Brisbane International. So my brother Nicky questions whether Brisbane's a global city. Oh, Nick's kidding himself. I mean, he lives in Shenzhen. <laughs> no one's heard of it. Um, it's a dump. <laughs> Why would you want to live there? Anyway, going back to Brisbane. Um, no disrespect, Nick, but he always says, "Why would you want to live in Brisbane, Matt?" So oh, I don't know, Nick. You know, clean air. That's probably a good start, isn't it? But um, <laughs> it's yeah, no, Brisbane's beautiful, and she's grown um, a couple of million people now, and yeah, great dining. It's clean, you know, picturesque. Yeah, we got you get some world class, you know, events. Uh, South Bank's a world class facility, so as well. Um, lots of business, vibrant, vibrant CBD, vibrant satellite cities, um, Newstead in the Valley, you know, really, really prominent. And yeah, we, I live close enough to the city. I grew up in Nunda and got property in Banyo and so um, really, really happy to be a Brisbaneite and um, we're very lucky over here to call this place home. Yeah, that it is, mate. Um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I always find with Brisbane too, then we said this quite a bit on the podcast and other podcasts um, it's a very small town Brisbane isn't it because it, you know, it really is like two degrees of separation um, you're always running into somebody you know um, it, it seems like a small place even at Suncorp Stadium you've got 35,000 people there and you know people just a couple of rows across you just you know you didn't deliberately buy tickets near them but you know you know, <coughs> they're in your, a bunch of your Facebook friends that you know um, you see Shane Webke, Lottie Takiri, Andrew G last night at um, Suncorp. I mean, you, you must admit it. I mean, it's a small town, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it, it is. Um, but I also think that you see those guys there and they have a chat together. They're, you know, they're humble. A lot of people in Brisbane are, are very down to earth. Um, but yeah, proud too, I think, as well. And so we're not known for being, you know, egotistic or snobby um, and yeah but I mean that's a, that's, a, that's an event that that you know that's world class 35,000 people there so yeah I, I, likewise yeah I ran into a lot of people I knew there and, and those, those sporting stars that we recognised um, but yeah definitely a small place geographically it's big it's one of the yep. biggest uh, I mean it's one of the biggest cities in the world geographically it's on size but in terms of its population yeah yeah somewhat small but Good size. Two million is still a lot of people for uh, you know by most people's standards. I mean, Adelaide I think is going to have less people from what from I understand. I think over a million, but um, obviously a bit smaller than Brisbane. So it's going to be interesting to see what we expect here. We're only here for a couple of days. I mean, it's just that time of the year where you can't really get. Unfortunately for us, we couldn't really spend more much more time in Adelaide. We've got other things sort of not too far away. Um, so what do you reckon we'll get up to on Sunday? You, you reckon we're going to go to the Brossa Valley? What, 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 do you, what have you got planned for us? On Monday? Yeah, on Monday. Yeah, yeah, on Monday. yeah no, mon- yeah, definitely. Look, two days in, in Adelaide. And like Tim says, yeah, it's time. He, he's busy with what he does. But um, I'm a retailer, so I really to, to be leaving in December and having a bit of personal time from the business um, isn't something I would have been able to do a few years ago. But I'm lucky that I've got big teams of staff and that I can do it. But um, yeah, really, really busy time for us coming up at the business end uh, of the year. And so our stores will be flourishing and um, 
yeah, that, that's really and great that I can go over and do this and, and those still operate. So, but yeah, over here I was thinking today, mate. Once we check in, we can go and have a look at Glenelg, which is a evidently beautiful bayside area. Um, have a look around the CBD, and then yeah, for Sunday fight day, and it'd be great. I'll be going to church at some stage at the City of Churches, and try and catch the body Fury and Wilder fight somewhere somehow in and amongst watching the UFC. Monday, mate. Yeah, Barossa Valley. So, yeah, one of my venues, um, we sell Ango uh, wines and um, for a lot of them in South Australia, so um, I'm not sure if they're situated in Barossa Valley or not, but um, really, really famous for, for wines. So I can't wait to, to go and just yeah, have a drive and probably more than anything, you know, out of the city and just just check out the scenery. I mean, Australia is just so diverse and, you know, and massive and... and um, we're so blessed to have, you know, so many great places and you know, to go. Yeah, no, um, certainly <coughs> it's going to be an interesting couple of days. Uh, the weather's, I think, is going to be about uh, pretty hot. I think it's going to be 28, 29 today, maybe 30. So it's not going to be too much different to Brisbane. It might be a bit of a dry heat weather as opposed to a humid heat. Um, so it's, it's going to be... Yeah, it's amazing. We'll see what we'll see what it's all about. Staying at a nice place in the hotel, Pullman Hotel. I wonder if we'll run into that Richie Vass again. <laughs> yeah, well, we ran into Richie, buddy. That's a good thing, mate. You, you get around these places, and, and and we're the sort of guys, mate. We don't, we don't, you know. If we see someone, we go up and say good day and, and make the most of it. And poor Richie Vass was just having a sauna to himself in. Um, over in Auckland, and I said to him, he said, buddy, Richie, he used to be in the UFC, and he's a bra boy, and uh, a bit of a surfer, and so, um, yeah, Richie, mate, we had a good chat with Richie in the sort of about half an hour, and um, so, yeah, who knows, we'll run into the Pullman, mate, um, buddy, run into someone, surely. Yeah, I'll, just sorry, I was going to give you, you a plug, actually, um, uh, before finishing up, uh, so, obviously not this weekend, but the, the next two weekends, uh, the next two Saturday nights, um, coming up, so that's the 8th and the 15th um, Matthew Thomas Sandgate will be open for dinner I believe uh, special seating and booking arrangements, is that correct? Yeah, 15th and 22nd, as oh, I said sorry. Timmy, we're, we're a really prominent breakfast venue and, and lunch venue, and uh, but occasionally during the year we'll open up at night and so this year we've only had a handful of um, pop-up dinners, so we've got 2 in December, the 15th and the 22nd and um, they're starting to book out, so if you want to go, 3869-4807 or um, matthewthomas.com.au and go to the Make a Booking page. But yeah, that'll be a great night, beautiful old venue, and around this time of the year you get nice water views up until about you know, 7.30 when the sun starts setting, so it's lovely. Rightio, Matty. <coughs> Good old mate. It's, thank you very, very much uh, uh, for doing the podcast today. Uh, it's been Tim Wilshire from the Valley Podcast. Brisbane Business Life Airplane Edition, or podcast on a plane edition. Uh, Matt, uh, great friend, probably the best friend I've got. Um, it's, it's, I really like enjoying uh, spending time with you on these trips that we do. Uh, we won't get up to too much mischief. I think we're probably a bit too tired to uh, spend a, too much of a late night tonight, I would say. Uh, but thank you, mate. Um, thanks for coming along, and I'm hoping to probably have you on the podcast again. Uh, somewhere down the track as we get to, you know, trying to do our 100 episodes. You know, this is about episode 19 or 20, I think, so... 
yeah, no, I'd love to, Tim. I'd love to chat specifically about business and talk about you know bricks and mortar retail versus online. And we're a player in both now, yeah, so um, I'm not anti one or the other. But um, yeah, there's a lot to chat about in, in that space. But yeah, I can't wait to this this weekend, um, wine in Adelaide and. and and have fun. We always have fun. That's a good thing about, about Timmy and I. We, we're playing bloody squash, tennis, um, you know, boxing together. We have the famous boxing matches or an arm wrestle or, or a race. Uh, competition of some sort. Whenever we go, Tim, we smile, we have, we have a laugh. He's, he's, he's a character. Definitely one of the one of the funniest people I, I know. It's called Dry Funny, mate, but uh, thank you very much. Uh, look, looking forward to listening to this back at some stage as well. Thanks for listening. 